I think as a, as a believer, when you look into the pages of Scripture, one of the things that you find is that this, this book is alive. And this book understands me more than I understand myself. And it, it doesn't only just explain why things are dysfunctional in myself or in community, but it actually has an answer. And the answer is that God came into this world as a human being and was the only perfect one. And we can be connected to him. And through that, the world gets healed. And so part of uh, the, the text that I'm going to read today is just the first six verses in chapter 3. You can find that on your bulletin, or you, if you have a physical Bible, it's just Esther 3, verses 1 through 6. And uh, we're not actually going to read uh, in chapter 6, but it'd be a great uh, thing to, to do to go home and read the entire book of Esther, actually, on Sunday. It'd be a great practice. So this is God's word to you today. After these things, King... Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, then they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews and the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. All right, we're going to spend some moments in silence. And very simply, we're asking God to be present in the midst of our lives right now, in the midst of this space And uh, we do that moment of silence because there's just so much busyness going on in our heads and we need to to be still just for a moment to uh, remind ourselves that God's here, that God is more present to you than you are yourself by the Spirit. And so let's uh, let's spend some moments in silence and and then pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. And now as we examine uh, this text of Scripture, that you would reveal what goes on in all of our hearts, but that you would not leave us there, that you would point us to the one who is pure, who uh, gave up himself for the sake of your glory, and is offering to us right here and right now to make us one in him. And when we do that, Lord, when we surrender to you, when we bow to you, when we pay homage to you and not ourselves or not others, 
Um, Lord, you bring us into the glory of your son Jesus, which is what we all want deep down. And so, Lord, show us the beauty of Christ right now. In Christ's name, amen. I had a, a, a friend in college who said that when she was in high school, she struggled with an eating disorder and uh, sort of over-obsessing about her appearance. And she said when it, was, when it was the absolute worst, she was running a lot, pretty malnourished, and wasn't uh, getting the proper food. But she said, one of the weirdest things happened. I had finally reached the goal of how I wanted to look physically, but I was simultaneously the saddest I've ever been. That I got the thing that I was actually shooting for and wanting and, and striving after, but I felt incredibly emotionally empty. And one of the most fascinating things about human beings, and you can learn about this not only in yourself, but as you hear people when they actually reach their goals, is that we don't, we don't actually know what we want. Have you figured that out about life yet? Like you, you get the thing that you were striving after, that you're going after, and it's just like, ah, I thought that there was going to be more to it that like filled me up. And part of that is to teach us that there's this thing in all of us called the self. And the allure of the self seeks to get all that it possibly can, and it is a never-ending appetite. And it's a trap. And part of how you know you're falling into the trap of the self is when you feel perpetually discontent, which leads to destruction. And that destruction can look like being angry with somebody or destroying somebody else, but it can also look like destroying oneself, punishing oneself. And so we're going to look at that. There's so much in chapter 3 through 6. We're going to focus very particularly today on just getting into the allure of the self. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk about the freedom from that actually being very counterintuitive. The freedom from the self is actually found in confessing what's in your heart and doing that in communi- safe, safe communities which don't cancel each other when you expose what's in your heart. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But for now, I want to talk about the trap of the self in discontentment. So this is found in verses 2 through 6, which is really the whole, the whole passage. But Haman immediately gets elevated to the, literally the highest position you could have in the strongest kingdom in the world at the time. There is no other higher position. There is no other praiseworthy position besides the king's position himself than what Haman has. And what you see with Haman is that it ain't enough. It's not enough. And according to scripture, this is the most dangerous thing to a human being. And it's something that every single one of us struggles with. And it's pride. It's self-exaltation. It's separating ourselves from others and then elevating ourselves from others. And so one of the things that the scriptures teach us, and and in in Western culture, we really, really do need to think about this. There's this uh, book called The Great Divorce where there's a depiction of hell 
And the depiction of hell is where people move further and further and further away from, from each other in homes that they like and want to create. And the reason they keep getting further and further apart is because the self doesn't have room for God. And the self definitely doesn't have room for other people. And so they have life exactly the way they want it, but they keep getting more and more and more isolated from each other and from God. The self is never, ever content with achievements. It's never content with what one has. It's never content with the relationships that are already there or the possessions that they have because the self is always looking at what they don't have. The self is always looking about at what someone else has and comparing themselves to what another has. It's competitive at its core. This is why Haman could not handle Mordecai not bowing down to him. It was the command of the king. It was uh, normal to bow down to those who were above you in the ancient world. But Haman could not handle it. And throughout Scripture, the claim is that pride is inside every single person to varying degrees. And when God comes into a person's life, one of the immediate signs that the gospel's influencing another human being is to make you very, very careful with what you want. It makes you very, very careful if you attain what it is you want, or it makes you very, very careful with striving to get what you want, whether that's achievement, the praise of other people, the gaze across the room. And the gospel comes in and says, <laughs> it, do, it does not say, oh, just, just be content with what you have. The gospel knows, God knows that your heart is more, is more tricky than that. And it won't work just by willpower. This is something beyond us. The gospel comes in and says, name your discontentment. Say it. Expose it. Think about why it's there. Think about where it came from. Think about how it started way back in the day. And that's how you begin to kill it. The more I thought about this text, you know, strangely, and th this is where Christian community comes into play, non-canceling community comes into play, which we will talk about in the coming weeks, but the medicine for being discontent is actually learning how to honor and be with those you instinctively don't like. C.S. Lewis says that the, the, pride, the prideful person hates other prideful people. If you wanted a practice in your life group, if you're looking for something to go through, please read uh, C.S. Lewis's um, chapter, A Mere Christianity on Pride. It is amazing and, and quite convicting. But Christian community can come in and say, hey, let's, let's think about what's, what's in your heart, not the dysfunction in somebody else's heart. And you see this in Haman. Haman is so insecure that he literally can't be in the presence of someone who doesn't act like or think like he does, who doesn't give him honor. Haman is driven by the admiration of other people. When you're recognized 
as a respectable person. That's what he wants. When people speak well of you, the believer, the believer in Christianity is one of the only ones in the world <laughs> that says you got to be very, very, very careful when people speak well of you. You must be very, very careful when you get the thing from people that you desperately want. And when others are disappointed in you or when they speak ill of you or when you are overlooked is actually part of the work of the gospel to kill the self. So, for instance, um, I play basketball with a group of guys at noon most weeks. And part of how this works is we start an email thread early, like 6 a.m. in the morning. Once we get to 10, we cut it off so that we can continue to run games for, for an hour. I've been doing this uh, since COVID, actually. Um, and I love it. I love the game. And I have formed a reputation in this game of, you know, I want to set a godly example. You know, I want to be Christ-like, you know, in the city of Lincoln. And uh, so I, I've said to myself, like, I'm never going to call fouls. And if anyone fouls me, like, I'm just going to, like, take it, you know? And if I foul somebody, I'm going to immediately call it. And if there's a contentious call, which there often is, and a lot of cussing, you know, um, I always, like, try to give the ball to the other team. And so I've formed this reputation that, like, I can't lie. And they, they like, uh, call me, oh, he's a pastor, you know, God's on his side. And so, like, if you foul him, you know, God's going to get you. You know, they joke about this all the time. Um, and so the, the other week, there's a thread that was started, and we were having a hard time getting to 10 people. If we don't get to 10, we don't play. And uh, one guy piped up. He said, we're almost there. Hey, everyone, Jesus is in. We can play. And so I started to write an email, and I was kind of laughing about this. I was like, hey, guys, I actually have something, that I, and I can't do it. And before I had a chance to send the message, there was this Hispanic guy named Jesus that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, piped in, he's like, I can ball, We're, let's go. <laughs> uh. Okay, look, um, I know that's a funny story, but it's, um, and, and this, y'all, it's serious, actually. Uh, the reason why is because moral pride is the most dangerous and wicked form of pride. It's subtle. Like with Haman, he's a ridiculous character. You can see how self-focused he is. He immediately goes to like genocide, right? I don't want to just kill Mordecai. I want to kill all his people. Um, but with moral pride, this is very, very important. With moral pride, the self hides behind being good. The self hides behind God language. And it's the ultimate form of hypocrisy. Because what, what's happening, you guys, is that we are wanting the attention towards us that other people should be giving to God. So how it works out is like, in my good desire to set a godly example before people, what was also at work simultaneously was a desire to take God's place, to be God, 
and it's wicked. And this is ultimately behind Haman's desire for recognition and why he's furious enough to murder when he doesn't get it. Guys, it's okay, it's okay to, to desire respect and, and dignity, but it's not okay to demand it. And once, once you feel yourself becoming discontent and sort of this underlying bitterness, when, when you are overly focused on how you appear and you're sort of always just a little angry, the self is at, at work. It's trapping you. It's suffocating you. But more than this, you guys, like this is the good news of, of Jesus Christ. This is part of why I believe uh, in the gospel still to this day, and this is what I think is hope for the world, especially today. Jesus already knows that you want to replace him. He knows that. That's why he came. It's like not a shock to him, you know. Um, but he wants you to, he wants you to do the, the hard work of killing the self. And the gospel is the only place where we can actually, when you admit that, when you confess your pride, it's actually quite joyful. You forget the self, and you're like, oh, this actually is like drinking a glass of cold water, and I was dehydrated, because it saves us from ourselves, which is far more dangerous than being canceled or having a bad reputation. Now, here's where I want to do uh, some, some self-examination here, and I, I do not wish to make you feel overly guilty or, or shame, shamed. Um, but up to this point in the sermon, have you been mostly thinking about other people? Are you like, oh, yeah, I know a few people like that. <laughs> I know this is a nasty question, y'all, um, but I, I feel like I need to ask it because I need to expose what's in my own heart. But is there a part of us that sort of likes how sinful others are? especially those whom we disagree with. The Proverbs talk about this. When your enemy falls, do not let your heart rejoice, lest the Lord see and turn away his anger from him. Is there no part of you that can relate to Haman? C.S. Lewis says, you can be sure that you're prideful if you think that you aren't. It's the deadliest of all sins because it's the silent killer. And if you don't confess it, it will destroy you and we will be on our path away from God. I have been to other college football games in several other parts of the country. Um, there is only one that I'm aware of that stands up and claps for their opponents. And it's Nebraska, it's us. Now that's a beautiful thing in some ways, to have good sportsmanship, to show honor to those whom we compete against. But if in your mind, there's like, okay, maybe we've not been competitive in recent years, but at least we're decent people. 
You see, you need to recognize the voice of Haman in your heart. We all do. Christianity is the only thing in the world that says, actually, my outward decency and the respect I get from others, the ways in which I excel, the ways I'm distinct from other people, is actually the thing that could separate me from God forever. And it must die. Christopher Ash, a commentator, verse 6 says, Haman feeds off the praise of people. When even one man will not honor him, he is infuriated. So the question I want us to ask is, in what ways, it's not like, do we feed off the praise of other people? It's like, in what ways do you, do I? Like, individually, but also regionally. What's in the soup? If anyone confronts you, you can, you, you know, about some sort of defect in your character, or you hurt them or whatever, and if you feel yourself immediately making excuses for your behavior, what's happening inside your heart is that your own self is trying to trap you. It's crouching at your door, and you must devour it, because it's going to devour you if you don't. So, let's imagine... Let's imagine you have 10 children, okay? And nine of them love you because you're the greatest parent ever. And they think that you're amazing. And then there's that one that isn't so pleased with you. They think that the way that you have parented them is wrong. And that the only, the only thing that you're doing for them is just so that they can look good in front of their friends. Now, why does a parent... Go to bed thinking about that one child. Why do they lose sleep over that? It doesn't make logical sense, by the way. It's not mathematically accurate. Like, the data would show that, you know, you're probably a decent parent. You got 9 out of 10, right? But that parent only thinks about the one. Why? It's because, y'all, when the self gets critiqued, when the self gets critiqued, it can only hide or fight instinctively because it's trying to build its way to face life on what others think about you and me and so it can't handle critique it it has to go crazy or it has to hide it can't face it and you can see it in Haman here he had the praise and respect of everyone that he came into contact with except one person one person didn't bow down into in the entire kingdom And it wasn't just like he was annoyed. He literally was infuriated. He could not handle it because he was driven by the self instead of grace. Instead of the approval of God being a gift that you cannot earn. And so drill down a little bit deeper here with me. The ways in which you have disappointed people. The people that you are in conflict with. Maybe because of something that you've done. We all have those places in our lives where we think, I, all I do is give, 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 and I don't get anything in return. Or you give, 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 and you don't, you don't have anybody in your life saying, I, I see how much you're doing. In fact, the response could be, you're selfish. You don't do anything for anybody. Now, in that moment, 
when the gospel comes into somebody's life, this is how the gospel changes us. We see those places not as something to run away from, but as the place of the deepest healing. Because in that moment, yourself is trying to scramble to find something else to rest in. Because it feels like it's being choked out. And that choked out is what Jesus says, let it die. Let it die. And come to me. You're trying to survive. You're going to die. Come to me. Come to my, to my identity. I am the self you need to be. I'm the only perfect one. And you're trying to be perfect. And you can't. Guys, this is why we can't handle critique. This is why it's devastating to not get invited into that group of friends that you want to be in with. This is why it's so hard not to get the bid with the sorority. This is why it's so hard. You got a you got 100 clients that are happy with your work and you got 10 that are upset with you and you can't sleep because of the 10. That's why. Because you're trying. And God comes and says, rest in me, particularly where you have failed, particularly where, where you don't feel like you measure up. Our lives is so tricky, you guys. Our lives are not ours. Our lives were meant to point to him. That's what this whole thing is about. This is, why, this is why our vision statement is, this is about what God does, not what we do. The gospel actually has the power to come in and say, in the exact places in which you feel inadequate, the ways in which you have failed, God has placed that there so that you will come to him. So that you will forget yourself. So that you could stop building your life on your performance. And when you make your performance the center of your being, of course you're going to be infuriated with anyone who threatens that. And what God simply is telling you this morning is, why don't you make me the center? Come to him. I have a friend who said that um, one of the most dangerous things, he's a minister, so one of the most dangerous things that can happen to me as a minister is when somebody comes to me asking for help in their deepest need, their darkest hour. He said, you got to be very careful when people come to you like that because there's nothing more alluring to the human heart than when someone comes to you to do what only God can do for a person. Because the twofold temptation is that they, they called you, they called you, and no one else. And therefore, you're preferred. But even more dangerous, number two, is that your name gets associated in other people's hearts with God. And there's nothing more captivating to us than to dethrone God except Jesus Christ who comes and says, you don't want to live like that. You can't compete with me. 
because my competition looks like you're killing me. And he still wins. Jesus comes and says, bring me, bring me that desire that you, you, you all have for approval. Bring it to me and see if I can't quench it. See if I won't be the bread of life that you've been looking for your whole life. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, God says. Jesus says, I can be the thing that you need. So pay attention, you guys, where you feel discontent. It will lead you to Jesus if you will confess your pride. You say, yeah, I'm trying to be too much. One of my friends says, you need to be human-sized. And what he means by that is that if you feel this sort of underlying discontent and bitterness and like, why isn't everyone else helping out? Why am I the only one? Like, You're trying to be God. Just stop. Let people be disappointed in you. Know where you end and another person begins. And let people go to God in their disappointment and in their discontentment. Don't, don't fill in that gap. If you guys have big hearts in here, empathy, you know, you like to rescue, you're a helper, number two on the Enneagram, whatever, you know, be careful. Seeking to take care of your parents in their dying age and your siblings ain't helping out like you. Like, where, where, where is everybody else at? Be careful. God wants you to rest. If you like to serve, serve, but don't be comparing yourself. And the only way to not do that is to know that your identity is secure in Christ. We're going to continue in that vein over the next several weeks as we look at the character of Haman. Not to pick on Haman, but Haman was not a great guy, you know. But the great thing about the gospel is that it's for not so great people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a window into ourselves. And Lord, um, the point of worship is not to be so self-loathing and so masochistic to just not be able to face our lives, but the, the point, the point of it all to look inside is so that we would look out to your son Jesus Christ who loves us, who loves us despite our sin, and has called us into a much more, oh, free-filled life, a life that isn't always consumed with the self, a life that isn't always comparing, a life that doesn't have this insatiable appetite for more and more and more, uh, but a life that can rest, a life that is with you, that's not separate from other people or you, but is with you and with others. And so, Lord, make us into that community, especially here at this table, that we would lay down our pride and that we would see it for what it is and then come and taste and see that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.